All right, before we break for the break, <laughs> we have, uh, I want to give you a little sneak preview of what's coming up here after the break. We're in the series called Armor of God, right? I think that's up there. Yeah, Armor of God. And uh, it's Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. And our theme for the series, what's our theme? Anybody remember? What's that? God fights for us. Amen, right? God fights for us. Russ talked about that in, uh, in, the first, uh, in the first message on the spiritual realm. He talked about how we have to know who our enemy is, right? Satan, the great deceiver, the father of lies. And, uh, you know, how his goal is to basically deceive us into thinking he's not even there. And, um, but Russ shared that, you know what, God fights for us. We don't have to be afraid in the battle, right? So we talked about the spiritual realm. Two weeks ago, I was up here talking about the belt of truth. And if you remember, Gabriel was swinging from the rafters up here that day, if you were here. It was a great object lesson in how Jesus positions us in the belt of truth. He is the truth, and that we can stand firm in the battle. Last week, I was gone. Russ talked about the breastplate of righteousness and how we're made righteous in Christ, that through his sacrifice, we're made righteous, we're made clean. And in God's eyes, through Jesus, he cannot see anything wrong with us. We are righteous. The breastplate protects us. And if you missed any of those, they're on the Connect Church app. So I encourage you guys to listen to the podcast. Today, we're going to look at Ephesians 6.15, and we're going to talk about shoes, if you didn't notice. <laughs> I'll talk about that later. <laughs> we're going to talk about shoes. Shoes for your feet. And the verse says, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So three things we're going to talk about. Shoes, readiness, and the gospel of peace. Okay? And with that in mind, since we have this kind of a shoe theme, uh, during the break, I want you to find somebody you don't know and ask them this question. If your shoes could talk, what would they say about you? So if your shoes could talk, so Julie got me these new top siders, right? I've never worn these. I'm starting to look a little bit more like Pastor Russ up here with these things on, you know? Actually pretty comfortable. Yeah, but find out. Or what do your fellow connectors' shoes say about them? So let's take a break. A um, couple things. Refreshments are at both tables and at the back. Grab a donut, get your kids to class, and guess what your neighbor's shoes say about you. I'll see you back here. Don't miss the Dim the Lights video. It's a great one. It's only a minute long. We'll see you in a bit. Well, I'm not Pastor Don Roberts. I did borrow it from him. <laughs> but... Uh, I love that. I don't know if you caught the very first opening scene there, but if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you know, you had uh, King Theoden there. And he said, you know, he basically said, I will not risk open war. I'm not ready for open war. And Aragorn, the prince, says, open war is upon you, whether you're going to risk it, whether you're ready or not. And today's message is all about getting ready. I talked about that. We're going to look at three things. Readiness, we're going to look at shoes, and we're going to look at the gospel of peace. And, you know, we got an interesting story, Julie and I, about being ready. And this is a humorous story, but last week we went out to West Virginia. Uh, her family, her mom's family, is all from the small town of Crum. Anybody ever hear of Crum? Yeah, crazy, right? Their name is the Varneys. And if you're older, you'll remember uh, uh, the Varney guy that was the comedian. Uh, I can't think of his first name, but anyway... That's a relative of theirs. Also, the McCoys, the Hatfield and McCoys are right there. And she's a, got relation that's a McCoy. But anyway, we went out there for uh, a memorial service 
Uh, her mom, Happy, by the way, is her name, Happy Anderson. Her mom, yeah, Happy, I'll, that's another message. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, but anyway, they, she grew up with eight brothers and sisters there in Crum. And they actually lived outside of Crum. I mean, Crum's, you could drive through it in about a block. But outside of Crum, they lived up in Silver Creek, which is a holler in West Virginia. You guys know what a holler is? Anybody? Yeah, a few, a holler. Yeah, I've got some Southerners here. Now, I thought, you know, that's like you're going to yell at somebody, right? <laughs> got a holler to hear me. But uh, that is Appalachian for hollow, which is a narrow valley or canyon. So anyway, they grew up in Silver Creek in this holler, and they, their family's been there for generations. And they actually have their own cemetery up about halfway up in the holler. And uh, it's up on the side of the hill. And these things are really fairly steep you know, and, and narrow. So we go up uh, last Saturday. It had been raining like here all week. It had been raining every day, but Saturday was like today. It kind of dawned with light clouds. And so we, we drive up there, and you literally have to park kind of down in the, the base in the field and kind of hike your way up because the cemetery is like on the side of the hill. You know, and they clear cut it because there's trees everywhere. You can't see hardly anywhere. They clear, clear cut this area. And we went up there and the family, some of the family had already gotten up there and they had uh, camp chairs lined up and we're kind of uphill and David's grave is right here and we're uphill from it and we're standing around and it's still pretty nice. And uh, the two uh, Baptist pastors come up from the church, right? And when they got out of the car, I noticed something really interesting. You know, usually for these kind of things, everybody's dressed in black, right? Pretty somber. And these pastors, one's wearing a bright yellow shirt and one's wearing a bright blue shirt. That's, that's kind of cool, you know? And they come up and we greet and they start the message. So picture this, we're up looking kind of down at them. They're down the hill and they're looking up at us, two of them. And uh, the first pastor says, you know, I got up this morning and I was going to wear my traditional, you know, funeral type shirt, my darker shirt. And I thought about David and I thought, you know how much he made me laugh. And every time I saw him, he'd tell me a joke. So I wore my bright yellow shirt. And I thought that was pretty cool. So as he's beginning to tell the story, you know, we're standing there watching him. And little did we know, behind us over the hill comes a very dark cloud. And I'm standing there, and most of the family's behind us. I don't know how we got out in front of them. But I felt a couple of raindrops, right? Now, we're standing there with no jackets on. And our cars are like 50 yards away, down below, right? And all of a sudden, I realize I'm not ready. We're not ready. And I'm thinking, oh, please, God, let the rain pass. And, you know, it starts hitting harder and harder and harder. You know how it is here in the mountains when a rainstorm comes up? I mean, it, it just started to gush. And in the span of, I think, like two seconds, my mind evaluates all the possibilities, right? <laughs> what do you do? There's no cover. The pa these two pastors, God bless them, they're kind of leaning into the rain because it's coming from our back. And their, their shirts are going dark quickly. And I'm thinking, first of all, Julie's next to me. I said, I've got to make a run for the car, right? But by the time I get there, it's going to be pretty much useless, so I'm kind of frozen. And I'm thinking the whole time about Julie's hair. I love her hair, but when it gets wet, shrinks down, and then it frizzes. And, you know, we were going to go to her cousin's house to celebrate afterwards. You know, you've got a whole day, and I'm just thinking Julie's not going to be happy. So what do you do, right? I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. And all of a sudden, I feel this tap on my shoulder. And her cousin, Sharon, she grew, she grew up 30 miles from there. She hands us two umbrellas. Oh, thank God. Well, the pastors are still at this point leaning in 
and their Bibles are wet, and you know, and so I handed one to them, you know, and, and took the other one, and Julie and I kind of huddle under it, you know, so it, it kept your hair fairly dry. <laughs> but meanwhile, you know, because the rain's coming in so hard, it's running off the umbrella down my back and her back. And I remember reaching over to her. She had like this blouse on, and I grabbed it, and I, and I just started to wring it out. The water was... <laughs> and, you know, I'm thinking the whole time, you know, it was one of those things when you're not prepared, you're not ready, and the rest of that day, because of the humidity there, you know, we never really dried out, if you know what I mean. You know, the undergarments were a little damp all day. It, it's a funny story. <laughs> but take an umbrella if you go to there, okay? But... I think what I want to want to share with you is that, you know, we dried out, obviously. You know, it was uncomfortable, but when you're not ready for something, you're not prepared for something, there's usually consequences, right? And I think about sometimes there's life and there's death consequences. So today we're going to look at being ready, the readiness, Ephesians 6.15. It's in your notes, and by the way, if you didn't grab notes, they're right up front here on the two corners or they're in the back. But it's right in the notes, and it talks about being ready. And uh, I want you to take a look. First of all, we're going to talk about the big idea that we have today about being ready. And it is in the top of your notes, and I want you to write it down, because we're going we're to hear it several times today. I'm ready for battle because Jesus did battle first. I'm ready for battle because Jesus did battle first. Now, when I first read this, it wasn't my big idea. <laughs> I thought, you know, there are mornings I'm not ready for much of anything, right? I'm ready for a cup of coffee. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. <laughs> I'm not ready for battle. But as Aragorn said, you know, war is upon us, right? Whether you're ready or not, war is upon us. We're in a battle. Like it or not, we need to be ready for that battle, okay? And so anyway, I looked at the word readiness, and I looked it up, dictionary.com, you know me, <laughs> and it's derived from the word ready, and readiness is defined as a willingness to do something or a state of being fully prepared for something, a willingness to do something or a state of being fully prepared, and is there anything worse than being unprepared for something, not being ready? You know, there's those little surprises in life that happen to you that, you know, you, they just catch you and you're not ready. You know, I was thinking about taking tests. I know Josh up here has got a test coming up this week, right? And you ever been in a test where, you know, you liked the class, right? You, you understood the subject matter. And maybe, you know, I know I did this. I'd uh, skim read a little bit. I, I got this test down until you get into the test. Every physics test ever. Every physics test ever. <laughs> I didn't take physics. But, yeah, I mean, you look at the questions and you go, is this the same class I was in, right? You know, I don't even recognize the questions. And all of a sudden, what happens? When you think, you know, you're going to skate through the test, you think you're prepared, and then you realize that you're not even close to being ready, your stomach starts to do somersaults, right? You start to get that sinking sensation that, that A is going to a B to a C, depending on how far you go into the test. I'm hoping that there's some composition questions. Anybody ever have that? I think I can write my way out of this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's one of those things where you're, you go in and you believe you're prepared and you're, and you're not ready, okay? Another one that's a little bit more serious, you go to work on a Friday, you think, all right, it's Friday, I'm going to work, and I'm excited about work because I'm going to just coast into the weekend, right? And then something blows up at work, you know, a conflict with a coworker or with a customer, 
And all of a sudden, that cool Friday just completely dissolves. You're not ready for that. And you know, the one that really is memorable, and it's probably one of the harder things we do, is if you ever have to get up in front of people like I'm doing now and talk to them, right? They say that's the number one fear for people is, is public speaking, right? Everybody's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so you know what? I remember sixth grade uh, was my really first big test. I had to get up and deliver a presentation on Grand Coulee Dam. And back in sixth grade, when I was in sixth grade, all we had was Encyclopedia Britannica's, right? There was no internet, you know? I didn't have any way to cheat my way through it. But so my, my mom told me, hey, I want you to memorize it. I want you to practice it, drill, and rehearse, right? Just like, you know, you saw Xander up here the other day. He, he memorized this scripture. Way to go, Mom and Dad. He memorized it. I had it memorized. I was prepared, you know? And I actually then practiced it in front of a mirror, and then I practiced it in front of my mom. And she said I was ready to go. You know, I was, I was ready. I was prepared. I remember walking up in the class. You know, the teacher's desk is here. And I, I walk up, and as I turn around and I look at the class, and I see some of the people looking at me and smirking and laughing, and I just locked up. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't ready for that. And I can remember standing there, and my, my, my left hand started shaking. Has that ever happened to you? It literally was shaking. And I thought, this is bad. And your mind's trying to command your, your, your hand. So I stuck my hand in my pocket to, you know, to hide it. And it did kind of. And while I'm thinking of that, my mouth dro- dries up. Have you ever had that happen? Where you can't even talk? Your, your tongue sticks to the top of your mouth, and then you talk, talk like this, like a lip. And, so guys, I, I had this down. I had it memorized. I knew every word like Xander, who, by the way, did a great job. He didn't do any of that. What's that? Not afraid. But that first time I was, and I was not ready, and I suffered the consequences, you know. There's some things in life I think we are ready for, though, and we still struggle. You know, one of the wisest men that ever walked on this side of the Atlantic, um, Ben Franklin, said, Certainty? In this world, nothing is certain but what? Death and taxes, amen? You know, and I want to talk about taxes. For those of you that own your own business, (laughs) You like that call from the accountant? No. You, you know you're going to have to pay a tax bill. You don't get a refund. But even those that do their own turbo tax, sometimes when you push the button there, surprise, right? You maybe didn't get the refund you wanted. Death, though, is one that is something that none of us, I believe, are ready for. I was talking to a couple in the first service. They, uh, uh, her stepdad's 74, and he's, he's, he's in his last days. And you know, you're kind of prepared for that. When Julie's uh, uncle passed, he was 84. And when people get to that age, you know, uh, my stepdad's 82, my, my dad's 79. You know, you just start to be ready for that. But what happens when maybe a younger sibling, you know, you lose a sibling, or worse yet, you lose a child, you know, somebody younger than you. You're not ready for it, are you? You know, when we were back in West Virginia, um, Julie's mom went to Marshall University. Have you guys been to Marshall? Anybody there? It's in Huntington. It's a beautiful university. And uh, we went to her brother, her brother, uh, her cousin, Brent, his name is Brent, uh, is the head of IT there. And uh, he invited us to come and, and, and do a tour and a beautiful campus. And we pulled up and, you know, big parking area, just like, it's, it's, it's the same size school as MSU, but it's quite a lot bigger in terms of area. But anyway, we pulled up, parked, went out, met Brent, 
And right in the middle of the uh, campus is a huge memorial. And for those of you that are my age, you'll probably remember when the Marshall football team crashed. 1970 it was. They were coming back from a game against East Carolina. And they had played a really tight game, 17-14. Lost the game. But the whole team had chartered an airplane, and they were flying back in. And uh, the, the pilots wanted to get them home, obviously. And uh, they tried to land at Huntington in a, in a thunderstorm. And those of you that know the South, you know how heavily forced it is. And the pilots missed the runway. They came up short. And that plane hit, and nobody survived. And, you know, I was looking at that memorial thinking, how would you like to have been, you know, one of those parents or a husband or a wife? And, you know, you're waiting. You're so excited to have your son or daughter or husband or father come home and find out that that plane never made it, that it hit that end of the runway and crashed. I, it was, you know, it was really impactful. We're never really prepared for that. But I want to share with you that you can be ready. We can be ready for that. Because we know that there's a, certainly we're all going to die, right? Sooner or later. So we have to be ready for it. And it's one thing to get wet in a cemetery. You know, and I dried out from that. It's one thing to struggle with a test or a work conflict. But it's another thing if you're not ready for eternity, isn't it? Because that's life or death. And I want to ask you guys that. I want you to think about that. Are you ready for eternity? If something happened today like happened to those Marshall football players, are you ready for that? How about your children? Are they ready? How about your close family? Are they ready? So I've kind of shared with you guys a couple, two, two spectrums. One's a more humorous side of not being ready, right? And one's definitely a more somber side of not being ready. There's the in-between stuff, though, the stuff that happens to us in life that comes at us every day. And I, I kind of look at that armor of God picture up there, this one with the arrows coming in, the flaming darts, the arrows of the enemy, right? And uh, I think about the things that happen to us in life on a daily basis, sometimes weekly, that we deal with. And, and the challenge with that is that if you're not grounded and ready, you can start battling the wrong people. You know, uh, when you're on, I've only been here 90 days, but you get a little bit more involved with life and with some situations that go on. And, you know, one of the ones that, you, that I've run into is, marriages that are unraveling for people. And usually what ha tends to happen there, at least the ones I've been with, is that uh, one partner or the other starts to, first of all, starts to blame the other one. That's number one. But then they start to blame maybe their parents or family of some kind that's caused this problem. And they start battling with that. And then it develops into even more than that. It develops into, well, God, if you love me, you'd fix my marriage, right? If you can hear my prayer, you'd fix my marriage. Uh, you know, another one is the inevitable illnesses that come into life, the cancers that hit us, you know. And uh, recently, uh, a good friend of mine, um, you know, his sister, who's a saint, um, you know, has been a Christ follower for years, and so are they. She contracted cancer, and, you know, we prayed for her, right? <laughs> we prayed over, we prayed, she wasn't here, but we prayed, you know, group prayer, uh, Everybody was praying for her, people all around that she knew, and she didn't make it. You know, the cancer took her that fast. And, you, you know, in that moment, you know, I'm thinking, you know, God, why, why don't you answer prayer for that? Why, why can't you heal that? Because we've seen healing, right? But 
but he chose not to answer that. And it's, and it's really hard. And that sometimes that, that's these arrows that come at us that we're, we're not prepared for, you know. I think of those dependencies, too. There's a lot of those, you know, uh, that, we, that we run into where, you know, people have issues with alcoholism or drug dependencies or pornography or, uh, you know, eating issues. These are issues that, you know, you pray over and over again for them to be, to be delivered from them. And you don't get delivered right away. And so what happens? You start battling God. You start questioning God and going, God, why do you allow this to afflict me? Why does this continue, right? You know, why, Lord? And when, what, you, what the problem is, is you're, we're battling the wrong person. In a lot of those cases, it's the enemy that's coming at us, and we're blaming God for it instead of understanding that we're in a spiritual battle and that we need to understand that. So our big idea today is that I'm ready for battle because Jesus battled for us first. And I want to read this, the, the, the scripture today with us. Uh, if you've got it in your Bibles, Ephesians 6, 14 and 15, I think it's up on the screen here. It says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You know, another translation of this, instead of saying stand therefore, it says stand firm and hold your ground. Stand firm and hold your ground. And what Paul's saying is that in these times when all these arrows fly in and when there's the, the marriage that unravels or there's the illness, the, the things that come at us, we need to be able to stand firm. We talked about the belt of truth. That is that foundational piece that we buckle into, right? That's Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And we are buckled into that so that we can stand in the battle. The breastplate keeps us protected from these arrows. The breastplate of righteousness. And Jesus puts that on us. And these shoes, they make us stable, okay? They make us stable in the fight so we don't slip and fall. You know, when I thought of this, though, I thought, why did Paul use the illustration of shoes, you know? Because you think about armor, you know? You think of Brian Dugan coming up, right? All armored up, right? How's he doing, by the way? Is he good? Good. I know he had a little... Ruptured spleen. Yeah, I know. I heard Russ hit him pretty hard last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God bless him. You got your beaten stick back, too. Okay. Excellent. We're not going to use it today. Yeah. But the, uh, you know, when I think about shoes, I think, you know, not armor, shoes, right? But then I started thinking more about shoes. So I brought some examples up. Because if you think about it, you know, we kind of plan our days around our shoes, right? Now, my first thought was to bring some of Julie's shoes in. But I didn't have enough suitcases. (laughs) Amen? Did I get an amen from... (laughs) Now, now, I have to say this. You have to look at this, this scripture contextually, right? Paul's in a Roman prison. He's being guarded by a guy, a male Roman soldier, right? So there were no women's shoes there. So you guys get a pass on it. So I brought some of my shoes, all right? And you know, like probably most of you men, um, actually some of these are duplicates. So <laughs> I've got my mowing shoes, right? Everybody got a pair of old sneakers that they use for mowing because they get awfully green, right? Those are my mowing shoes. These are my hiking shoes. 
Merrill's, you know, everybody's got their favorites, right? But they've got a little bit more aggressive sole, you know, that doesn't slip when you're hiking. This winter, though, I had to translate to these. You see the spikes on these? These strap on here? I tell you, there were days up on Drinking Horse where you couldn't stand up because it was all iced up. So these have got little spikes built into them, you know? Once again, a little bit different shoe. I've got my Keens, which are my best-looking shoes, but you can tell they don't have a lot of wear on them. <laughs> you know, they're a good-looking shoe for indoors, but they're too warm for outside. In fact, finally, I've got my, uh, my Nun Bushes here. My, these are my dressiest shoes. Until my wife got me my new Topsiders. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're all the same shoe? Close. That's it. This, these... These are my shoes, and you know, here's the thing. If I grab these shoes and go hiking on Drinking Horse and run into ice, what's the worst thing that's going to happen to me? I'm going to slip and fall on my butt probably, right? But I'll survive. When you look at the Roman soldier, though, how important were his shoes to his survival? They were life and death. Mine are a convenience usually, right? Ours are. But his was life and death. If you think about a Roman soldier... You know, his, his, his fighting was all hand-to-hand, right? It was all close quarter. He, if he slipped and fell, what happened? He's dead, right? If he didn't get killed right away, he probably got wounded so bad. And back then, they didn't have antibiotics, so he was dead anyway. But yeah, if he slipped and fell, his shoes were life and death to him, okay? And Paul was writing again from a Roman prison, looking at a Roman soldier. So he compared all of this armor that the Roman soldiers had with the armor we need to fight the battle. And you know, the Roman army was incredible. I mean, those soldiers, literally, that's all they did. They trained for years to fight. They were the best fighters in the world at that time. But I want to show you the the actual sandals that they wore. We've got a video coming up here, and uh, I'm just going to voice over it. But these were the sandals that they wore, and they were cut out of one piece of leather, and you notice that they breathed. You've got room for air to move through them. And then they laced up above his ankle for stability. Um, That was critical. The bottom of the sole was a two-piece leather sole, and uh, it was called Caligai was the shoe. But notice the hobnails built into it. Those were actually pounded into the leather, and that's what allowed that soldier to grip and stay firm. This, he would not slide around. And uh, one of the things that they talked about when I I studied these was that uh, the Caligai would allow them to march farther. Their feet would stay cooler. They wouldn't, you know. You know, an army can only go as far as it can march, right? And back then, there was no mechanization, so they, they literally hoofed it everywhere. And the Caligai made the Romans more mobile. They could move farther and faster than any other army on the planet. So the shoes were super critical. So Paul says here, if you're going to stand firm in this battle and hold your ground... You have to be wearing these shoes of readiness. So how do they get you ready, though? I mean, I understand the footing, but how do they really get you ready for battle? The answer is the shoes are grounded in the gospel of peace. If you look back here in 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 verse 15, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness, getting ready, given by the gospel of peace. Now, what is the gospel of peace? Well, the word gospel... It comes from the two words from the Old English. One is good, and one is spell. Now, good is good, right? But spell, I heard spell, and I think, you know, that's something that Harry Potter would cast on somebody, right? But spell meant news or story. The gospel is the good news or the good story. 
So when you think of the gospel of peace, you've got the good news of peace. And in your notes, the next one, it says the gospel is the good story about how Jesus brought us peace with God. The gospel is the good story about how Jesus brought us peace with God. There's a couple of pieces to this, but we're going to look at this next scripture. Paul writes this to the Romans in uh, verse 511. He says, therefore, and I always like Russ, he says, if it says therefore, what? Why is it therefore, right? Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. We have peace with God. We are not at war anymore with God. We have peace with God because of our faith. And it starts with faith in Christ. So here's something that we all need to know. This is something the enemy does not want you to... He wants to think that you to think that we're at war with God and God hates you and God is he's, he's, he's unhappy with you. Here's what I want you to know. In your notes, it says, if you're in Jesus, if you're a follower, if you're a believer, if you've crossed the line of faith... You are not at war with God. You are not at war. God made peace with you. God sent his only son. He sacrificed his only son that we could live in peace. When you're in Jesus, you're at at peace with God. The war is over. God isn't mad at you. God doesn't disapprove of you. He isn't fighting against you. He's fighting for you. And the good news is, the good story here is that Jesus brings us peace. That's the first part. He brings peace to us, that our war is over through Jesus. We're girded in the belt of truth. We have Jesus strapped into Jesus. We have the breastplate to protect us. Once again, Jesus. And Jesus, when we step across the line of faith, he puts these shoes on us. These shoes of readiness. This peace comes through the shoes that he puts onto us. So back to our big idea, right? I'm ready for battle because Jesus did battle first. You know, I, I looked at this and I thought, you know, I thought of some battles, but I kept thinking, gee whiz, what battle did Jesus fight for us? And the first thought that came to me was the 40 days in the desert, you know, in the, in the wilderness. And I know Jesus fought that whole time. And we know how Satan tried to tempt Jesus and that Russ shared that on a, message here a few uh, weeks ago. But you know, there's another battle that, (laughs) and I got to admit, you guys, I completely kind of missed this battle that happened. Uh, I missed part of it anyway, and I wanted to share it with you. The the backstory, and it's not in your notes, and I apologize because I added it late in the week, and uh, Russ was already gone, so he couldn't say anything about it. I just threw it in there. But uh, if you remember, the disciples and Jesus had the Last Supper, uh, and after the Last Supper, they retired to the Garden of Gethsemane. And to give you a picture of the garden, the garden's like a, a big park there. You know, it was forested, it had grass. It was a place that they went a lot to just to chill, to kick back and relax, right? And the Garden of Gethsemane, if, if you're familiar with that area, uh, sits on the Mount of Olives. So it sits up above Jerusalem. So it's actually on a hill. And Jesus and his disciples go up to the garden you know, just to, to kick back and to relax. And if you remember the story, you'll remember that the disciples, you know, started to lay down. They were tired. They had eaten and they were ready to go to sleep. And Jesus withdrew from them even farther, right? You remember that part of the story? That he withdrew from them. And he 
saw what was coming. He could see at this point in time, the next day, what he was going to have to deal with, probably the longest day of his life, Good Friday, right? Um, and, you know, Jesus, I, I kind of struggle with the, you know, the Bible says he's all God and all man, right? So there, there was a struggle in him. He could see that within a few hours he was going to endure six mock trials, right? Totally jokes for trials. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be whipped and actually scourged, which is the, uh, the long metal whips, or long whips with the steel on the end of them, the metal. He was going to be forced to uh, endure uh, basically a, a prisoner exchange with Barabbas, where Barabbas was chosen and he, and he wasn't. And then he was going to be marched all the way up to Calvary. And literally, they say that that's a half a mile uphill. And they were gonna, he was going to have to carry this cross, which is 80 to 100 pound cross beam. So think about it, those of you that have climbed the M, right? That's like going up the steep side of the M with a cross on your back. And that's after you've been beaten and, you know, whipped. You think of all of this, this Jesus knew all this. And finally, he was going to be hung on that cross and he was going to be crucified, which is the worst death the Romans could come up with at the time. So this is all of the things that Jesus is facing in the garden as he withdraws. And a couple of interesting accounts. The gospel writers talk about this, this, the struggle that Jesus went through. Because you know what? He's prepared. He's prepared for this, but he's not ready quite yet. Now, the, the God side of him is prepared to do this, but he's not ready. So he, he, gets, he withdraws in prayer, and uh, Matthew, and I didn't put this on the screens, but it's in chapter 26, verse 38 records that Jesus tells his disciples, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He was on the edge of death at that point. And Jesus got down on his knees, and I've got to believe that the man part of Jesus got down and said, God, are you sure? Are you sure? Do I have to go through this? Are you sure? Luke records, chapter 22, verse 44, that Jesus prayed even more fervently he got down on his knees a second time. And Jesus, he was in such agony of spirit that he literally sweat blood. He bled out of his pores. And you talk about agony. That's, I mean, I can't imagine how that could even happen, but it happened. It was recorded. Jesus got down on his knees a second time and he prayed, are you sure, God? Are you sure? Matthew records a third time, the last time Jesus prayed. After all three prayers, Jesus knew his, his father's answer. Matthew 26, 42, Jesus goes, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Your will be done. So he knew. Now he's gone from being prepared to being ready. He understands what he's got to go through. So while Jesus is going through this, there's another story developing. And this is a story I want to talk about because it, it ties to the battle and how Jesus how we can do battle because Jesus battled for us. John records it, and he starts in verse 18, verse, and, and I'm sorry, chapter 18, verse 2. And uh, I'm going to paraphrase some of it. But basically, we know this part of it, that Judas, you know, had withdrawn from the, the upper room, the Last Supper, and he had gone down to get, you know, soldiers, chief priests, and come, you know, and, and his, the plan was to come up and arrest Jesus. So Judas is, is uh, down there. In verse uh, 2, it says, Judas the betrayer 
knew this place. The place was the Garden of Gethsemane because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. So Judas knew where they were at, right? The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. You know, I, I was talking to Julie about this. You know, you watch some of the, the Passion of the Christ and some of the, the shows that we've seen, and, you know, usually you see these guys coming with their torches, right, and their lanterns. You know, usually when I watch the movie, I see there are maybe 20 or 30 men that are in this group, right? You know, historical records say that when they came up that hill from Jerusalem, Judas, the chief priest, they brought 600 men with them. They brought 600 armed men. That's an army. And can you imagine that if you're, if you're Jesus and you're looking out at that? I mean, that would not have been a quiet group, right? Lanterns, torches, full battle armor. I imagine they're chanting or they're banging their swords. You know, I mean, their, their whole goal is to be intimidating. 600 men coming up the hill, up toward the Mount of Olives, up, to, up toward the garden. And I'm going to pick it up here. John 18, 4 and 5. Jesus, God, right, fully realized all that was going to happen to him. At this point, he's ready. He fully realized it. So he steps forward to meet them. So imagine that. He steps forward. So you've got 11 disciples, right? And Jesus steps forward, you know, and puts the disciples behind him. 600 guys facing him, right? A whole army, literally coming up to get him. He steps forward, and it says, he goes, who are you looking for? Jesus asked. He already knows the answer to the question, but who are you looking for? And they go, Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus said, I am he. And this is the part I missed. This is John 18, verse 6. And Jesus said, I am he. And they all drew back, and they fell to the ground. I missed that one. Literally, think about that. I want you to close your eyes for just a minute and think about that picture. I just, it just amazes me that you have 600 verses 1. Trained soldiers, Romans, temple guards, and conscripts or mercenaries, all fully armed. Jesus steps forward and says, I am he, and literally blows them back onto their butts. That's power. When we think of our big idea and we think that, you know, we stand firm because Jesus battled first, we're ready for battle because Jesus did battle first. Jesus right there standing in front, he did battle first for us, didn't he? Amen? That's power. That is power. I think about uh, the one song that, that came out that says, he goes before us, he goes behind the God of angel armies is right here by my side, right? I think of that. You know, when Jesus does battle, he's today, he's standing in front of us and he's doing battle for us, right? The world, you know, that 600 soldiers to me, that's, that's the world. That's the enemy, right? That's, that's the kingdom of darkness. That's Satan. Jesus is out front. We're behind. And three words, he blows those guys off their feet. Can you feel that power? You know, Revelation talks about Jesus being the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And right there in that garden, 
He was fully warrior God. And when we say God fights for us, that's the picture I want you. And I, I, want, to th- I want you to think about one thing too. Just a few minutes earlier, this is the same Jesus as he's getting ready that's down on his knees and he's shaking, right? And he's bleeding, he's, he's sweating blood, and he's in anguish. And the next minute, when he sees these guys come and he steps right out in front, he doesn't hide. He steps right out in front of the disciples, stands there tall. I imagine if you could see his eyes, I don't know if I'd want to see his eyes if I was those 600 guys, but he literally blew them off their feet. He fights for us today just like he did then. He didn't back down when 600 armed soldiers came up to get him. You know? So what I want you guys to do, I want you to stand up, would you? Everybody stand up here. Now you get to participate here a little bit. But I want you to think about that. Just close your eyes. And just think about that. You're in the garden. You're behind Jesus. The whole kingdom of Satan, the the world, the enemy is out there. They're all armed for battle. Sometimes we feel like that, don't we? We feel like we're outgunned and outmanned. And Jesus steps forward. And he says, I am he. And the entire world blows back. The enemy is knocked on their butts. And I just want you to think about that for a minute. And now, I just want you to remember the big idea. And I want to say this together with you guys. I want to say this together. So just say it with me. I'm ready for battle because Jesus did battle first. All right, I want it this time louder. I'm ready for battle because Jesus did battle first. All right, one last time. One last time because I want Russ and Chris to hear this on the podcast. I'm ready for battle because Jesus did battle first. Amen. Are you ready for battle? Amen. I feel a lot better than that. Now I know I'm ready for battle because I've got the God of the universe fights for me. The Word made flesh. He's in front of me. Great job, man. Go ahead and have a seat. I got one more scripture to share with you guys. We kind of moved the song forward a little bit. But you know, that story, I love that story because it talks about Jesus battling for us. Uh, But you see, the gospel of peace isn't just about Jesus' story. What we're talking about here when we we, uh, take the shoes and we put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, there's one more component to that that I want to share with you. See, part of that gospel of peace is what Jesus has done for you and for me. That's part of the gospel. And it's how he brought us peace with God. First of all, when we stepped across the line of faith. But it's also how we can share that story, that good news, with others. That's a really critical component of these shoes, is to be able to go out and share the good news with other people. And when you can tell that story, you can be a powerful weapon. There's a, a, the last scripture we have here. Revelation 12, 7 through 9 says, Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Kind of reminds you of that army, right, that Jesus stood in front of and blew them off their feet. Satan was defeated initially in heaven. He was defeated at the cross, and here he's defeated again by Jesus. 
And verse 11 says, And they, that is you and me, the church, they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb, by Jesus' death and resurrection, and by their testimony. So when did Jesus defeat Satan? He defeated him at the cross. And this is like, right now, Satan is like 0-2, right? Against Jesus, <laughs> kicked out of heaven, beat at the cross, beat in the garden. He's 0-3, I guess you could say. Uh, after that, uh, Jesus rises again. But how does Satan continue to do? How does he continue to battle us? And it, the Bible talks about him being this roaring lion that prowls around seeking to devour us. How does he do that? He goes after our testimony. He goes after your and my testimony. And he, what he wants to do is he wants to steal that tes testimony because that's the last thing. He knows he'll be defeated by their testimony. And if we, he can defeat our testimony, if he can take away our good news, he minimizes us, right? So what I want you to know this, the last part of your, your notes here. Know this, that, first of all, that the enemy is a, a liar. He's the father of lies. The truth is not in him. And know this, that your testimony is a powerful weapon of warfare. Okay? And, you know, we joke all the time. You know, Russ has got four years of, I think he's got six years of theology training, right? He's the theologian. And uh, one of my friends called me the Googleogian the other day. <laughs> I don't have six years, but I have a testimony. Amen? And you all have a testimony. You don't have to be Bible scholars. Google helps, <laughs> but you don't have to be Bible scholars. You just need to be able to tell your story, amen? That's the key. Your testimony is the key, okay? And in a few minutes, I'm just going to go over a quick tool. I think you, uh, you got it when you came in on how to write your testimony. But before we do that, I want you to set your things aside for a minute and just go to prayer here. And let's just ask God and the Holy Spirit just to come into this place right now. And if you're a believer, I just want to challenge you right now to, to be able to share your testimony. I, I pray that you would write this out, God. That God would help you write your story out and internalize it and make it part of your own. And if you're a believer in the room right now, would you pray for anybody here today that has not yet stepped across that line of faith, that has not yet written that story? And Jesus is ready to write that story, but the battle is here and now. It's right here in this room with somebody that doesn't know the Lord. So for everyone that does, I pray that you would just pray that uh, God would break the chains of those people's hearts. That he would open up their hearts and minds to, this, to the saving grace in Jesus Christ. And if you came today and you don't know the Lord right now, I want to give you an opportunity to step across the line of faith. You know, maybe you came today and you thought that the walls would fall down on you when you walked in this church. And you thought God is mad at you, God is at war with you, and that if he could, he'd strike you down, which he could, but he's not. He loves you. He wants, right now, he wants to make peace with you through Jesus Christ. So if you're that person that just came in today, and you don't have that story to tell yet, and you're ready to step across the line of faith, you want to be sure about your eternity. You want to be sure that if, God forbid, something happened today, and your life ended you can be ready to be in heaven with Jesus, be with God the rest of your life. If you're there and you want prayer for that, if you want to pray with me, I just want you to raise up your hand right now. If there's anybody in this room that would like to uh, pray with me, 
and accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord. If there's anybody here that needs to do that now, please raise your hand. You know, Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my God in heaven. So don't, don't be bashful. If you need prayer for that right now, raise your hand. I'd like to pray with you. Okay. Let me ask the believers that are in the room right now. If this has been a week where you've been at war, you know, and you've taken some shots, maybe a few arrows have slipped past your breastplate, maybe it's hitting your arm, maybe it took out a leg, and you feel like you're, you're struggling right now and you need prayer. You need all of us, corporate prayer, to fill you and strengthen you and to gird you up. If there's anybody here that needs prayer right now over anything in their life, would you stand up for me? And I'm just going to pray with you. Thank you for that. Thank you here. Don't be bashful. You know, again, we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord. So stand up. Let's just hold these that have stood up in prayer right now. God, I just thank you for these that have stood up. And I don't know. I'm just a man. I don't know. I don't know what they're dealing with. But you do, God. You know the number of hairs on their very head. So I pray right now, Lord, that you would come alongside them, that your Holy Spirit would fill them. You would strengthen them, Lord. You would help them to to be strapped into the belt of truth, God, that you would put the breastplate of righteousness on them and fit their feet with the shoes of readiness, Lord, and encourage them, strengthen them, Lord. And I pray that you would meet their needs wherever they're at, that you would strengthen them, that you would heal them, God, that you would provide provision for them. So, God, I just pray that right now over them, that you would bless them to be a blessing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Next steps. Before I let you guys go, we've got one more song that uh, we're going to sing. But if you pull out your testimony here or or your testimony sheet, you know, this is all about being able to take your testimony, your story, and write it out. And I encourage you to do that. There's something about, they say if 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 you sit down and you think about it and you write it out, you retain much more, right? So take a few minutes and write that out. I want to share with you real quick, and then we'll, we'll, we'll be finished here. My own testimony, I wrote this out. And if you look at this, it's kind of got uh, uh, five parts to it. Uh, the first one is the opening. It's basically, it's a theme. What was your life before you met the Lord, right? And I wrote, my life revolved around uncertainty and fear after my parents' divorce. You know, I didn't know what I was up against. And it says, next one, your life before Christ. What was your life like before that? Well, when you're not sure about things, you start to self-medicate, you know. You, you drink a lot of alcohol. And, uh, you know, you party, you chase after the world. I was selfish, I was uh, angry, and I was uncertain. And uh, next thing says, how did those things let you down? <laughs> well, you guys know what alcohol do to you. <laughs> You know, I can remember, though, I had saved up for two years to buy a car, and I wrecked my car drinking. Fortunately, I didn't get a DUI, you know, because the cops back then were a lot more lenient than today. But I wrecked my car. I had disappointing relationships. No real hope for the future. How did I come to Christ? It was in the basement of my mom's house, and it was a Billy Graham crusade. And I heard his call. I got down on my knees, and I accepted the Lord. I said, what was your initial reaction And I don't remember an initial reaction. I was 16, but I don't remember a blinding flash of light or anything, you know? Nothing miraculous happened that day, but within a few months, 
um, I quit partying, and of course my partying friends left me because I wasn't cool anymore, right? And I started meeting other people that actually went to church. I had no church family around me. So it, it, uh, it really changed the course of my life. Um, you know, the one thing here on the second page, it says, what were the doubts or struggles that went through your mind just before you accepted Christ? I can't remember any there, but I do remember afterwards thinking, did I pray the right prayer? <laughs> you know how you wonder, if did I say the right words? Am I really saved? And uh, God put it on my heart that people have come to know the Lord over 2,000 years. There's no true words that you do say. It's what's in your heart that matters. And why did you accept Christ? I think initially Billy Graham said, you know, you have a choice tonight. It's heaven or hell. And I didn't want to go to hell. That, that was bottom line. That was my first decision. But my other one was about my family and my situation and my dad. And he had gone through several adulterous affairs. And I was thinking, you know, I don't want to be like him. I don't want to put my family through what I just went through. So I needed God to change that trajectory. I needed to find a woman uh, whoever that woman was, and at that time, I didn't know who she was. And, you know, the next one says, uh, your life after Christ. What changes did Christ make? Well, that was when, uh, a couple years later, you know, uh, out of the blue, I meet Julie. Julie uh, was in Billings. She came down to uh, Rapid City. We both worked for Sears. It was a totally a divine appointment. And we're 320 miles apart. So how does that work, right? And you guys probably have similar stories like that. And Julie was a Christ follower. She was ahead of, ahead of me in the faith, but she encouraged me. And we got married 36 years later, you know. We're still together, and it's, uh, it's amazing. Two kids, three grandkids. So all in all, I, uh, it, he totally changed the trajectory of my life. And finally, the closing, it says, to try to wrap it up, to theme it, you know, with a verse and... You know, for me, because of my anxiety and my, my concerns and my uncertainties before I met Jesus, I love Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything, right? Do not be anxious because, you know, it's easy to be anxious about every day. Do not be anxious about anything, but through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, will fill your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's, that's the peace. That's what gives us the strength to take these shoes, go out, and stand in the battle. And with that, you guys, um, we're going to move into our next song. Thank you for just being kind and attentive. Uh, I appreciate that.